0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. This is the doctor speaking, diagnosing the intersection between work and learning. Wow. Our guest today is from the other side of the world. Literally, I have Robert from Canada. Hello, Robert.
1: Hello. How are you today?
0: I'm very good. Now, Robert, I know sometimes we call Robert people Rob um how do you would like how would you like to be called
1: well my friends call me Rob my parents call me Robert so you can make your choice
0: <laughs> that's always the case when, when you hear Robert you think you're in trouble because that's the way your I parents call you
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Rob why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners who are you what are your roles uh, tell us a little bit about yourself
1: sure my current role is i'm vice president uh, of memorial university with responsibility for the fisheries and marine institute of memorial and the best i can say is the fisheries and marine institute of memorial is like a polytech within a big research intensive university so i feel like i have the best of both worlds i have the the technical certificates and the technical students and then i have the phd students on the other end so it's i've got the whole gambit I've been at Memorial for 27 years, but I have played a role in work integrated learning and career development for pretty well my whole career. I actually started out in the placement office in the 1980s here at Memorial as a part-time student and then worked with them over the summers uh, to get students jobs, help them with resumes, those kind of things, summer employment. And I really gravitated to the world of career development and cooperative education and now work integrated or work-based learning. So through that passion, you know, you say, where do you go in your career? and I did a Bachelor of Arts in political science and a minor in business only because I did an economics course and that was the other place I could do a minor in business and I did an economics first year course and I got a 50 in it so I thought well if my job is going to be an economist going forward I probably should redo the course so I did redid the course with the same professor same textbook everything and I got a 48 so I said well I don't think uh, economics is going to be my future so I, I gravitated to political science and you know really enjoyed that but really wanted to do something more with respect to helping so then i went back and did a, a social work degree and that gave me that helping counseling kind of background and then gravitated back to career counseling which was quite interesting and the two solitudes career development and work integrated learning or cooperative education were two silos at that point at memorial so you know they talked to each other but They didn't intersect, and so there was no intersectionality. So I ended up running the Career Center at Memorial early in my career, in the early 90s, and then got an opportunity to sit on a lot of national boards. So that allowed me to have more of a national focus when it came to career development and cooperative education and work-integrated learning. And then that morphed into my role within student services, which is where... The focus of the career center was located, it was within the student services area. And so that allowed me to have two feet, one in the Career Development Association and, and side and also the Student Affairs and Services side. So it allowed me to, to connect those two things. And I was very much, a, I always like to be involved at, at a national level and an international level. So I've led six national organizations. Uh, I've built one uh, with a bunch of my colleagues from across the country called CIRIC, the Canadian Education Research Institute for Counseling. And the rest were either career educator and employer related, Casey, the Canadian Association of Career Educators and Employers, and then Student Affairs and Services, and now the International Association of Student Affairs and Services. So I'm a, I've been a part of a number of groups, and uh, it allows me to get an international flavor by staying, living and working in Newfoundland that we like to call Newfoundland and Labrador the far east of the Western world. So we're the farthest you can go east in North America. In actual fact, I can look out my window and see the most easterly point of North America. Uh, so we see the sun rise the first in, in in North American it's it's a pretty cool place to be
0: so everybody uh, as you've noticed the cats out the bag yes we are talking all things work integrated learning again um but also and we're going to dive into this one a little bit later um we are also talking publications and we'll be talking about the journal that Rob has mentioned in a little bit. Just a, a bit of a plug, uh, you are aware uh, if you're a listener to this podcast that we are doing an unconference starting in July 2022. Uh, and Rob will be on the academic stream uh, as a editor of one of the journals, but we'll get into that in a minute. Now, um, Rob, you mentioned a number of uh, work integrated learning networks and organisations. Interesting, seric has a, a very close association with ESRIA, which is the European Society for the Research of Adults in Education. We're going to have somebody on this podcast soon. But um, I know in conversation with me, you've also mentioned NAPSA. Tell us a little bit more about NAPSA.
1: So NAPSA is, is National Association of Personnel Student Affairs, and it's in the, the U.S. It's all 10,000, 12,000 members or more that talks about everything student services related. So it'll have a career development theme. It'll have a housing theme. It'll have a, a counseling theme. And it's, it's absolutely one of the really interesting organizations that I've been a part of because, when you go, the, the again, I'm gonna use the word intersectionality of of what happens in career development or work integrated learning or cooperative education is also reconnected to that. So, you know, they, they will they will be the leaders of those organizations, directors, managers, frontline people that talk about where career fits and, and where work integrated learning fits. And I think when we look at it. Sometimes we forget that you know career development is just not in the career center and career development is it could be in housing and and I've always said like we're talking a lot in Canada these days about mental health first aid and I almost feel like there could be a career first aid so everybody doesn't need to know everything about career development or counseling but they could know a little bit enough to to give people some advice and then refer them to the career center. So I think that's what NASPA has done for me is, is to, to think outside the box and to find out where we can fit. And, you know, if you look at service learning concepts, if you look at people learning outside the classroom, not just inside the classroom, I think all of us in student services have been saying that for many, many, many years. But I think we're coming to a point where we're starting to figure out now that what happens in the classroom is one aspect of it. But, you know, a faculty member, if it's a a four credit course uh, in Canada, is usually about 36 contact hours in a classroom or online. You know, if you look at that 36 hours, there's not a lot of students spending 36 hours in the career center. So I think that if the more we can talk about that and the more we can work within that teaching and learning environment, I think that the more it'll, it'll create new ideas, New intersections of, of thought processes, new opportunities of again, you know, offering career development sessions on a on a Tuesday night in a residence hall. And I think that that's what NASPA has done for uh, for my piece and the international association of student affairs and services of which i'm the past president is representing you know a number of universities and associations around the world but we have what we call a global summit every two years and one of the things that we we like to do there is to bring people in from around the world and say almost a touchstone how are things going in your country what's happening there and you know we did a global summit in rome italy a number of years ago and the number one issue was employability and part of that was a conversation. Government was looking for universities and colleges to be more relevant to the job market. Um, parents were looking for programs that were going to be making, uh, allowing their students, their sons and daughters and nieces and nephews to become more employable. And I think that that's one of the really exciting things that we can look at is how do we look at our student services colleagues? How do we look at our faculty colleagues? And how do we embrace what they can offer to support us in work integrated learning and, and uh, career development? And I use the two interchangeably sometimes, and I I probably shouldn't, but in some places, in some countries, they're very, very separate and others, they, they're, they're interwoven. And I think that that's one of the things that I, I'm very, very excited about when we look at, you know, associations and, and how they can help us be, you know, more uh, opportunity for professional development. And, you know, the unconference is something I'm really, really looking forward to and uh, talking about the journal and talking about my background as a, as an academic and as a tenured academic and, and how can we play a role as a tenured academic within that environment. We
0: are absolutely excited to have you a part of the conversation, Rob, Uh, definitely hands down, um, very, very excited. Um, I'm hearing a really strong key theme here of intersection, interweaving, integrating. Um, Let's move on to the journal, because I think a lot of the uh, articles that you were probably looking at as chief editor uh, will be probably around some of these themes. But tell us a little bit about the journal, how it came about uh, and your particular role and function within that.
1: So it's it, it's a I think it's a field of dreams story if you know the concept of the field of dreams <laughs> and your listeners know that I was in what's this the 20th year so 1999 I was at a, doing my PhD at the University of British Columbia. I always thought that it was important for this country of Canada, but more importantly to, to celebrate all the great research that was occurring at a master's and a doctoral level, but not really being shared in peer-reviewed publications. And so I, I came up with a concept and I shared it with a couple of my friends. And literally at a Christmas party, uh, we had this call for expressions of interest of, of you know, reviewers of how would the community in Canada, mostly my colleagues in different national associations, what would you think if, about the concept of a Canadian Journal of Career Development? And I listed some of the things I would see in a peer reviewed publications and you know, multiple authors and all this kind of stuff and more about engaging and building that field of Canadian academics in many ways and, and you know, master students and doctoral students to share their results with people from across the country. Again Remember, this was 1999. There wasn't a lot of open access journals at the time. So I talked to some of my academic colleagues because I was the director of the Career Centre at the time. So I talked to some of my academic colleagues and said, so what do you think about this? And somebody gave me a binder. It wasn't even online at the time. A binder of how to establish a journal in Canada. And so why, I don't know, but they had a a binder and somebody had taken the time to do it. So I went through it meticulously. And then I sent out this email to my colleagues and said, what would you think? So that was a a Friday night, On Monday. I opened up my email. And there was 137 replies from across Canada saying, "You wow. gotta do this. You really gotta do this." So I kind of went out and I talked to to some of the other folks, and then I sent out an email and said, "You know, I, I unofficially or informally surveyed the population. We're going to do this, and this is where it is." And then I had this funder. It was called the Counseling Foundation of Canada. It's the only private family foundation, to my knowledge, in the world that funds. All of its funding goes into career development of work, integrated learning and support for people to transition from unemployment to employment or high school to university or university to the world of work or Mm -hmm. grad studies. And they run a conference called Connexus every January in Ottawa, Ontario in Canada. Usually had about. 1,400 to 1,800 delegates. Huge conference. But what what that did was in that journal, we set it up so it was what they call a double blind. So there's two peer reviewers who look at each article, look at it, scan it, provide feedback. Our associate editor then takes that and massages it a little bit, sends it back to the, to the authors. They then refine their publication if they want to, or they can submit it to somebody else. The three levels are of, you know, it's accepted with modifications. One, it's not accepted. And the other one is it's totally accepted with no modifications. And that very rarely happens, but there's always something to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we started that and we launched that in 2002. So this is our 20th anniversary. We started as open access, so we felt that it should be free for whoever wants it. It should be the sharing of of peer reviewed information and it it really should be something that anybody can access from coast to coast to coast. Again, not everybody had access in rural Canada to the internet at the time and still don't actually in some places. So we really wanted to share the knowledge. And that's where it began. And I remember going to a conference in Toronto, Ontario of of journal editors in in academia and everybody was saying, Oh, this open access is going to be the rumination of 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 journals in the world well we've seen where 20 years are gone and you know open access is a great opportunity because anybody in botswana or lithuania europe can actually look at the journal online for free and all the back issues are online successful for us was that this private family foundation in toronto decided that they really like this concept and wanted to fund it every Well, every year they fund it, but we signed a three year contract, so they came in and partnered with us. So that allowed us then to have funding to do typesetting and database work and hire an associate editor, those kind of things that that really allowed us to be bold in our thinking. And um, I'm happy to say 20 years later, we're still going strong. Uh, We get hundreds of articles every year. We distill those, distill them into two separate issues. And now we just got we have a granting council in in Canada called the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, and they give out grants to academics uh, all over. And they have a a section called the uh, uh, Learner Journal uh, Subvention Program where they give funding for for Learner Journals. And uh, that's been an absolutely exciting piece. And we've been funded by them now for the last four years as well
0: what a story i had no idea that it was 20 years I, I, again just what another brilliant reason to to have you on this podcast and to talk about the journal if you, if you think back um i know COVID is is a very kind of interesting time period and a lot of publication went around that but maybe taking COVID out of the picture or, or maybe thinking about post covid what from your impression as the chief editor? is kind of where career development is going. What, what are the key problems that are surfacing or, or being addressed in the research in the journal?
1: I think some of the key issues that are being addressed in the journal, and it depends on where the article comes from, because if it's coming from, a, you know, a, a someplace in the U.S., it's going to be a very different perspective than it will be from Japan or if it's coming from you know, China or wherever the articles may come from. But what we've been finding is there's a lot of people in a lot of different fields of study, disciplines, schools, faculties, whatever you want to call it, nursing, political science, geography, engineering, who are doing career research. And, and I find it absolutely amazing because even in my career now, and, and I've been at this for almost 40 years if you include my time in, in university doing it. So if you look at where that is now, we've got people in engineering writing amazing career development articles with a lot of understanding of career development theory. I would never have met them. They go to engineering conferences. They don't come to my career conference. And so what I always complained about for years was that I, you know, when we talked about teaching and learning, I teach in the faculty of education in the area of post secondary studies and service learning and student development theory. And that if I was to say I go to I used to give my math colleagues and I take them as an example, it's not because of math, but I just use them as an example. The math professors always go to math conferences. They never go to a conference on how to teach better. So that's their field of study. And they might even distill it down. Even You know, it might be to a calculus conference every year or something. But part of that, for me, has been that really interesting piece, because now we're finding that career development has become this body of knowledge that others in nursing. I mean, the articles I get, I mean, I had an article in a number of years ago in, in, a, in our journal that was on fetal alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome and career development. I remember it because we said, "Who's going to peer review this?" Because you know, it's not. I can find somebody who understands career development theory, but I had to find an expert in the world who understood fetal alcohol syndrome, so we could make sure that the journal was accurate in its information and written and you know, written well and stuff. I think that that was one of the really interesting things that I'm observing coming out of COVID. That there's a body of knowledge out there in a number of fields of study. You know, and it could be community agencies. We did a, a special issue of the journal a number of years ago called welfare to work, because how are we working with people and social assistance around welfare and whatever we want to call it in certain countries? How are we helping folks get off welfare and transition into meaningful employment? And so I think that that's a very interesting dynamic. I think also coming out of COVID, I think there's been a lot of people looking at, and this is not about the issue of the journal as much as what, what we're seeing in some of our not articles in the journal, about some of our submissions, is this understanding of how do we transition in a new economy when COVID has changed people? We don't even know how it's changed them because they've been remote learning or remote working for two years. So as an example, we're having a conversation nationally in Canada around the whole area of all these retirement, because people are saying, I could retire. I found out I've been home or people saying I could work as well from home even better than I can going into the office where somebody interrupts me every five minutes. When we look at coming out of COVID, it's almost crystal ball gazing to look at it and say, so what is this world of work gonna look like when people haven't worked? I'm hearing even at my university, we're saying, so if we offer four or five options for remote work, we can decrease our footprint in building size and building density will increase the, the uh, carbon offset because people won't be driving cars into the campus every day. So there's an element of when we look at this, that's going to be transitioning to employment uh, retirement or transitioning to different jobs, but making a decision on is a remote work a possibility? Because if it's not, I don't want to apply for the job.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say that these are some of the challenges I am, you know, that, that's going to be surfacing. I'm pretty sure in the unconference as we think about these new emerging challenges on the horizon and what that means in terms of career development, work-integrated learning. How do we place a student in a work context where actually there isn't much of a work? Because right. everyone's at home doing the work.
1: <laughs> right. And and you know, what we've found, and another thing, some of the submissions to the journal, the early submissions now, because we're still not really out of COVID, but we've been seeing some some themes emerging from you can work from home to do certain jobs, but there are certain jobs you can't work from home to. And so, you know, are the cleaners in my building? Well, they can't work from home. They have to be in the building to clean. But there are some places that you can work from home, but to be innovative, how innovative are you going to be if you can't get in a room with people and talk talk back and forth, and see facial expressions or see body language or debate things? So I think there's going to be a hybrid of, of something going forward that when we look at work integrated learning, and if you're, you're doing a work integrated learning placement as an accountant or an accounting student, what does that look like? And are you at home or do you need to learn from those mentors that you meet in the workplace? And what does the workplace look like? So I I think there's going to be more of a an embracing of technology for sure. There's going to be more of an embracing of technology for career development without a doubt. And when we talk about work integrated learning, it's going to be about how do we become innovative within the context of remote work when I'm an accounting student, I'm sitting in my basement or my, my bedroom doing accounting work, but I don't have my colleagues to, to kind of sit around the, the coffee shop or the cooler and have a chat about what that looks like. So we're, it's wow. crystal ball gazing at this point, but I love the on conference because it gives us a time to integrate these thinking with other colleagues from around the world and 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 have that chat and say what are you finding? And that was kind of the global summit that we've organized for student services. It was about having those conversations from around the world. And when we went to Rome that time, it was all about employability, and we found out that in every jurisdiction around the world, it was also about employability. We had a, a recent conference in Toronto. It was a virtual conference, and that was all about the sustainable development goals. What what are we doing as, as colleagues around that to talk about sustainable development goals? And of course, you know, one of them for me was gender equality and life below sea and uh, and academics, you know, solid academic work. So there's a number of themes that we find that when we get out there and have these conversations like at the on-conference, there's a, a richness of, wow, I never knew that. Or that's that confirms my thinking mm. on that. So I think that we're, we're, stay tuned. This is going to be quite, a, quite an interesting <laughs> ride going forward, nothing like I've ever seen
0: stay tuned i love it i love it now rob you you you're talking you're talking Mohammed here in the sense of bringing in voices from all over that we may not you know your example of the maths conference for example we we may not be exposed to these kind of voices and again the the on conference is, is, is the ambition is to bring a diverse amount of of voices around uh, the space to be able to have these conversations. Now, one of the reasons why uh, it's really exciting to have you, uh, and I wish, uh, let's explore this a little bit. Is I know that uh, you were involved with Memorial in establishing a university among the Inuit community, and uh, it would be great to be able to have them at the UN conference. Tell us, t- tell the, the listeners a little bit about, uh, you know, the Inuit, you know, the challenges they face, uh, w- what the partnership was all about.
1: My colleagues in Nunavut, which is a territory of, of Canada, and um, it's the high Arctic. So it, it's very much a, an, Arctic, an Arctic community, about 33,000 people. It's, been, it's had a tragic record with respect to, uh, with respect to abuse and, and uh, a lot of social and economic issues. But one of the, the really important things that the government has done when they became a territory and self-governing was around the whole piece of employment for the Inuit and the employment for people. So part of that is connected to education. So, you know, you you go through, and you, we all say we go through from a kindergarten or pre-kindergarten to a grade 12 or grade 11 education, and you you then go on to college or university. So it, a number of years ago, five years ago, the government of Nunavut, along with the peoples of Nunavut, put out a call for expressions of interest to work with Nunavut Arty College, which was a college within in Nunavut and different communities within Nunavut, to be what they call their singular generational partner, to work with them to do everything from building registrarial systems or enhancing them to enhancing online teaching and learning to working to build new degree programs because at that point they were offering certificates and diplomas and to build that in happy to say uh, I've learned more in my partnership with the people of Nunavut uh, and the community of a uh, number of communities in Nunavut but uh, my colleagues at the Nunavut Arty College to learn that when we talk about you know cultures, there's often not that voice at the table, and if the voice might even, the person might actually be at the table, but doesn't have a voice. Building this this new entity, and we don't even know what we're going to what they're going to call it yet, because they very much are driving it. This is not Rob driving it from Memorial, not bringing a Southern colonial perspective to the table. And so one of the first things we did was a, they have the diploma in education or diploma in teaching and learning and so we've leveraged that into a degree, a bachelor of education degree and I'm happy to say there's 99 indigenous students now in Nunavut in communities in Nunavut all being taught and 10 of them graduated last year. Parchment for the first time ever had Memorial University's logo on it and Nunavut Arctic College logo on it and it was in in Inuktitut. So it wasn't in English. So we removed <laughs> That, that colonial perspective and is in, in their own language. And I think that's also giving a voice to people who wouldn't normally have a voice. I think it's important that. You know, we tie in the principles from the government perspective of employment. If you can tie in education, you can tie in good career advice. If you can tie in academic laddering, like you could do a certificate, then a diploma, and you can stop out after each one and go to work and then come back at a later date for a degree. And then that whole academic laddering is really critical when we start talking about career transitions. I, I, not everybody wants a degree, you know, and, and not everybody needs a degree. So part of it is what does that look like? And the second program we've been running now, so we have 99 students. In, in uh, a number of different communities. The other one that we started last fall was a Bachelor of Social Work program. So they had a diploma in, in social service worker, they called it. So we've leveraged that with a Bachelor of Social Work here at Memorial. Now they're going to, in three years' time, will have their own Bachelor of Social Work to offer. And that's based on not just Canadian standards for the Canadian Association of Social Workers, but it's also based on the Indigenous Social Workers Association standards. So some people will get their degree from Nunavut and will leave Nunavut. Other people will get their degree from Nunavut and stay in Nunavut. So it's about looking at respecting traditional knowledge, traditional values, traditional culture and traditional language and saying, how do we give that a voice? A very interesting thing happened, uh, Trevor, during COVID. And this is a really interesting outcome. So this conference called Conexus that we run, that's CIRIC, the Canadian Education Research Institute for Counseling runs every January in Ottawa. We'd have 1,100, we topped out at probably 1,100, 1,200 delegates in person before COVID. And we were so excited with it. So then we struggled during COVID. Well, we can't, we're not allowed to have a conference. So we put one online and it got to over 1,800 delegates. Not only did it get to 1,800 delegates, the territories, the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, and Yukon all had more delegates from indigenous communities at the wow. table having that online virtual conference than they were ever able to send to the in-person conference. So when we look at socioeconomic needs and challenges, when we look at you know, travel, financial issues of traveling and going to a conference and all that kind of stuff. So that was a structured conversation. We also put in a conversation that there was themes that were indigenous related so people could see themselves in the program and then they would sit around so we had group membership so Eight people in the office or eight people in the school could sit around and listen to to the uh, the conference and participate in the conference without actually having to leave work or school or community to go to the conference. And participation was extremely enhanced because of that for rural and and uh, and not just none of it, but also communities all over Canada uh, that were rural communities that wouldn't have had a chance to participate in that very wonderful conversation about career development. The other thing that I've learned in my international work and certainly work with none of it, what we call career. development. Development, might not be what they call career development. We always have to be careful about you know terminology and how we use that because it might be just using knowledge or they might have their own word for using knowledge and it's not career development. So it's even stepping back sometimes and checking our own biases at the door and checking our own privilege at the door and also checking our own colonial perspective or Southern perspective in my case of, I was raised in this community, this is what I know in the career field for 40 years, what does? How do I translate that to somebody else who's talking about exactly the same thing, but using different words? So I think that was a, it's been a very exciting piece for me. And and uh, I, I'm again, I'm learning more in this partnership than anybody else. But I, I always look around the table now and see who's around the table and who's participating and who's not participating and who doesn't have a voice.
0: Wow, 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 wow. Well, if there are any people from uh, Nunavut listening right now, you are most welcome at the ad conference. Uh, do make sure that you sign up. When I'm listening to you, if your experience, your stories, everything that comes with you is like baggage, you, you've just got so many bags that you are trying to hold as you walk into the door and, and, and be part of the Unconference. And it is an absolute privilege um, to have all of that expertise and experience um be part of the conversation that we're having. Thank you so much for your time and for being able to chat to me on this podcast. Uh, and uh, again, I just remind the listeners, Rob is gonna be one of the panel members uh, that's going to be part of the academic stream on the 27th of July, uh, but he is going to be active all the way through the unconference, starting on the 1st of July, engaging in in the different ways in which we've set this up. Uh, do look at the link uh, in the description of this podcast. I'll be putting loads of links there as well uh, to uh, get in touch with Rob and to see what Rob is up to, and of course uh, the the journal, the Canadian uh, Journal for Career Development as well. Rob, thank you so much for your time.
1: Trevor, thank you so much for for allowing me to be excited again about my career development uh, hat, because in the busyness of being an administrator at a university, sometimes I don't get to to spend as much time on career development as I would really like. And this is a real privilege for me to be a part of this world and podcast and also the young conference. So thank you very very much for the invitation.
0: You're most welcome. And again, uh, it's an absolute privilege to have you on board. Thank you, listeners, for joining us uh, and do tune in soon again for the next podcast. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Doctor, and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning.